0: David <laughs> David My mom calls me David and Nick calls me David <laughs> Good evening to all, and it's great to be able to be here tonight to worship God. Our membership is, is back at full strength now. The Stonemans are back from their travels. Great to have you home. Chris, Crescente is back as well, but he, he's at work. He works in the evening, so everybody's here, and we've almost survived the school holidays. Just a couple more days of that, so that's awesome. And we have some great news happening tonight. First of all, it involves two women named Hannah. All right. So So, it's a blessing to have one Hannah, but it's a double blessing to have two Hannahs. So, first of all, I'd like Hannah Bennett to please stand. She has moved to Auckland, and there she is, Hannah. She's here. She was baptized in the U.S., moved back to New Zealand, and now lives in Auckland. Welcome, Hannah. Glad to have you here. And also, Hannah number two. Um, This is very special, because Hannah lives in Wellington, and her parents are also visiting here tonight. Her brother from Onehunga is also visiting tonight, and Hannah Hannah Smelly will be baptized after church today. If you could stand up, Hannah. It's a pleasure to have you here. (laughs) That's so encouraging, and of course that whole row and welcome is Alex here. There's Alex from Fiji, Big Bula. For, uh, glad to have you here. And Maria from Christchurch is also here. If you could stand quickly as well, yes. It's just a big party. Let's just keep introducing people. Speaking of introducing people, back in the well, where's where's uh, where's Desiree? Where is she? Uh, Jasmine's here with the baby, and uh, Martin's holding the baby. So, this Des- is <laughs> just, just a loud, just shh. <laughs> keep her quiet. That's good. That's awesome. And, uh, well, it's wow, really encouraging And uh, to see Hannah baptized. And it, it's important to note that she has been listening to us through the podcast for close to a year. Is that correct? Wow. So, she'd been hearing my voice <laughs> for close to a year, but had never met me personally. Okay, and the image that she had in her mind of me didn't quite match the reality. So when we turned up in Wellington, she said, "Oh, I had imagined you as a shorter, bald guy with a Hawaiian shirt." (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it! (laughs) That was awesome. Man, that's really inspiring. Uh, But amen Uh, If you're bald and you wear Hawaiian shirts, amen, that's awesome (laughs) Praise God, nothing's wrong with that Um, Amen So, having said all of that, let's open our Bibles 1 Corinthians chapter 3 I'm not going to really do too much of an intro I'm going to pray and dive in Because we're going to read two chapters tonight Look at two, three quick points And then we're going to see someone get baptized So, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's pray together And then we'll read the text God, it is—it's so inspiring to be before you and worship together. It's—it's it's so sacred, actually, what we do when we come together and worship you, the Creator of the universe, and, and take communion and sing to you in fellowship. I pray that your Spirit really, really is the driving agent that is present here, really opening our minds and hearts to the Scriptures, so that we can understand you in a more meaningful way and live out our lives in a closer version of Jesus than we left here. And it's so exciting to see Hannah get baptized. As well, Father, and and Hannah, move here, God, and all the great things that will continue to happen this year. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can turn to the screen and you'll see the text pop up there as well. I'll try to make sure it switches as I turn, uh, so hopefully that'll follow. But in verse 1, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants. In Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What? After all is Apollos. And what is Paul? Only servants to whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God Who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Verse 9. For we are God's co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. God's building. By the grace God given by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day with a capital D, meaning the judgment, will reveal all. We'll bring it to the light, it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. As a church leader, that's frightening. Because I may think, oh, what does this person, what does that person think of me? But I will be scrutinized by God on Judgment Day. Verse fourteen If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's been burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but not but yet will be saved, even though it's only one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? I said that, didn't I? Do not deceive yourselves. Verse 18. If any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about humans and leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. In chapter 4, verse 1, he continues to correct their view on leadership. This then is how you are to regard us, meaning me and the apostles and those who lead. As servants of Christ and of those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you'll not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. And detect the sarcasm in this as he's really correcting their view. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign. And that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe. To angels as to well as to human beings, we are fools from Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags and brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth. The garbage of the world right up to this moment. He's really trying to give them to, you guys think you're so spiritual and wise and profound, but it seems to me like God has a different story for the apostles. How can this be? I wish I was really like you. And in verse 14, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon. And you can detect the fatherly tone now of admonishment, as he says, if the Lord is willing, and then I'll find not only how those arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Because I am going to visit, and I am going to sort out what's going on in your congregation. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or, shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? You choose, but I'm coming eventually to sort out what's going on as the father of the faith. And so here we have Paul's teaching to the church. Let's look at three points. First of all, milk to meat, milk to meat. In chapters one through four, Paul really challenges and corrects their view of unity. These guys are disunified. Again, we've talked about it. If you came to the church in Corinth, you'd notice visible division. I follow this guy. I follow this guy. I follow that guy. And so he's, he's saying, you guys think you're all mature and you think you're wise and you think you're spiritual, but you still need milk, not meat. But the idea is that we, we do grow and are able to eat meat. That's what he says in verse 2. I couldn't even address you as spiritual, but you guys are worldly, still infants. I wanted to give you sound, solid teaching, but you weren't ready for it. Even when I first came It's four years later, now that he's writing this letter, you're still not ready for it. You're still not ready for solid food. You think you're wise, you think you're mature. Guess what? You're a baby. Now that's really not a good way to open a conversation with someone. You know, hey, I want to talk about your spirituality. Hey, you know what? You're just so infantile. Why don't you grow up? Why don't you put your big boy pants on? That's kind of what he's saying to the church here, man. That's like, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. As Paul is correcting them and, and 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 they're still not ready. And he tells them why in verse in verse 3. You're still quarreling. You're still jealous. And so what does that mean? That word quarreling isn't just like, hey, I think we should have five songs and I think we should have four. Well, guess what? I'm not, you know, it's not about that. That word is kin to the Greek word for war. So there's some serious like contention going on. It's not just like a little squabble. These guys are, there's full of strife. There's war going on in their church. And because of that, Paul says, see, I can't can't even feed you proper food yet. You're immature. Look at your behavior. I can't give you what you need. There's a passage in the Old Testament that talks about this idea as well. It's Isaiah 28. The prophet says, who is he trying to teach? To whom is he explaining his message? The children weaned from their milk to those just taken from the breast? In other words, he's trying to to talk to a mature people, but this is ironic. Like, you can't teach a young child difficult things. And that's what Paul is trying to communicate to this church. You guys are still so young and immature. Paul wants to fire up the barbecue and throw some meat on it. But they're not even ready. They're not ready. And so he wants them to be able to grow from milk to meat. Right? I think we would all be concerned if we saw images like this. Now, I just want to give you a note. These are going to be concerning images, okay? So stand by. If you saw this, you'd be concerned about this brother who will not be named. (laughs) Now, if you saw this brother who will not be named in our fellowship, and he has this bottle of milk, and you say, hey, bro, what you got there? This is my normal drink. It's actually formula. And you say, well, that's strange, bro. Like, what's going on? This is what I've been drinking for the past 42 years. Say, say, bro, come on. Wouldn't we rally around him and say, what's up, brother who won't be named? Now, if we thought that would be concerning, this, this one is a little bit more concerning because our, our concern would mount if we started to see this trending in the church. For instance, if we saw this. Oh, yeah. Hey, bro, do you want some of my milk? Hey, yeah, I still got some. Hey, good, I'm still on milk too. I'll feed you some. Right? If, if this became a trend, there'd be an alarm, a concern. And at some point, someone would have to say, hey, guys, grow up. Sorry, John. Sorry, Al, brothers who won't be named. You, gotta get, you need some meat, right? That's, that's kind of a point that we all get. If we were to see that happen in kind of ordinary or out of the ordinary life. But Paul is saying the exact same thing. You, you guys think you're so spiritual. But look at your behavior. Look at your behavior. I think this tells us a lot about Paul's expectation. And, and the gospel has an expectation that we grow. When you become a disciple of Jesus, when you convert, there's similar to spiritual growth. You, you should understand the message of the cross more and more and more throughout your life. And it should impact your behavior. Yeah, okay. These guys, four years into their Christianity, still were drinking milk. And Paul says, no, the idea is you get a deeper understanding of the gospel and you actually grow. Personally and as a church. You're spo- you're, you, you don't have to rely on others to push you as much. When you first become a Christian, maybe you need lots of reminders and lots of structure. But as you understand the message of the cross, you start to gain internal motivation. And your relationships start to deepen. If you really understand this message. But, it, but as time passes and we age, I think there's a dissociation that just because people have been Christians 20 years, they're mature. Just because they've been Christians 15 years, they're mature. Are they? Well, you can check by their behavior. Does the cross really impact their life? Does it change the way they think and live? What it also tells us is that if you have broken relationships, you won't understand deep truth. Paul says there's jealousy and quarreling going on. No wonder you don't understand truth. And so anyone that wants to understand the gospel message cheaper, check your relationships. Are they, are they good? Are they fractured? Are they divided? If so, you won't, you'll, you'll hit a ceiling. You only drink milk. But if you repair, if you reconcile, if you, if you work on your relationships, you can understand more truth. And there's also a connection between loving Come on, bro. and understanding truth. What Paul is essentially saying is you guys don't love each other. Later on in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks a lot about love. And we know, he says, if, if you're so puffed up, you can know everything, but if you don't love, you're nothing. You guys don't love, you won't know truth. So there's a lot in this for us to learn. We, we ought to grow as Christians, but our relationships need to be on a good level so we can understand the gospel message. There's an expectation for us to grow from milk to meat. Amen? On, point number two, it's about being God-centered. This is a big point that Paul wants to communicate as well. In fact, if you read chapters 3 and 4, the reason why I read it as one chunk is it deals with one unit of thought. And it's the longest discussion in the New Testament of how the church should interact with leadership. You won't find anything this lengthy elsewhere in the New Testament. And it helps us really distance how we interact with leaders in the world and how we interact with them based on the gospel. Because remember, as you, when you become a Christian, you're supposed to distance yourself from culture and society and grow closer to the cross and let that impact you. So that's what Paul's trying to do. He's saying, you guys are too self-focused. You need to be God-centered. Yeah. Our society's pretty man-focused, isn't it? It's pretty humanistic. If something works, they praise the leader. Congratulations, you did great. If something fails, you stink. Let's find another leader. And the the root of that is, well, it must be all based on the human. If they do well, they're great. If they don't... Now, Paul is saying, you need to focus more on God. And he'll he'll make this a big point and correct their view. Look at the way he kind of corrects it through this text. Verse 5. He says, yeah, you guys are rallying around all these people, but it's actually the Lord that assigned each person his task. Everybody has the same rank. There's somebody else divvying up the tasks. And it's the Lord. Verse 6. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God, emphasis on God, has been making it grow. And in the Greek, that's important because Apollos and Paul both did something that happened in the past and it's done. Planted, watered. But God is continuously making it grow. Throughout history. God is the chief grower. These guys, they're just doing their job. They're just being faithful. But God is the agent that's making all things grow. Verse 9. Three times he mentions God. We're God's service. You're God's field. God's building. Verse 10. By the grace God gave me. You guys are too focused on yourselves and other people. Focus on God. Focus on God. And when you put all this beside each other you put the planter and the waterer and then you put God it's like the planter and the waterer are nothing God is God is the one making everything grow that that's that's Vastly encouraging. If you've ever watered plants, I was talking about this the other day, you know, just watering my plants. I never walk away boasting, saying, check out the way I watered the plants. Wasn't it glorious? (laughs) Nobody says that. Behind the scenes, something else is happening that's causing those plants to grow. Same thing in church. And Paul's saying, you're so self-centered. You're focused on this guy and that guy. Focus on God. Plus, so they have this overinflated view of their leaders. Plus, they have an overinflated view of themselves. In chapter 4, verse 8 through 17, if you'll look there, he kind of digs into them. And he says, man, you guys are so spiritual. There's no hardship going on in your life. You're like kings. You're like eating nice. You dress nice. You sound nice. But the apostles, man, we're like scum of the earth. How did, how did you get like that? You must, you must be hearing a different gospel. Because that's not what we heard. That's not what our lives look like. But you're focused on yourself. You're not focused on God. And he says, I mean, I feel like God is, it seems to me, God put us on display. What's going on? You're too focused on yourselves. You need to be focused on God. At some point in astronomy, there was a model called the geocentric model. You may not be able to see it, but that's the earth dead center. And so astronomers said, this is how the universe works. What's at the center? Earth. Now, if that's true, that's pretty sweet. Because here I am at the center of the universe. Look at me with my overinflated view. Everything's awesome. And this was a view that was subscribed to for at least 1400 years As such and such and then along comes Copernicus and he writes this theory of stuff that's smarter for us to understand or at least me at least. And then he calls he says actually after we've started out let's let's look at the actual true model. Heliocentric. The earth is not at the center of the universe. The sun is. Now, you can believe whatever you want to believe but that's true. Right? But you see people, and you probably, you notice we laugh at it in comedy, and we do it ourselves, you can see people who are full of themselves with an overinflated view, like they're the center of the universe. It's not true. It's not even close to being true. It's all about God. God is the center. Everything comes from him. From him we have our breath and everything, right? And so Paul's saying, look, let me help you understand it's about focusing more on God. that's helpful because when a church is focused on that the leaders kind of disappear not like where they go someone kidnapped them but I mean like (laughs) it's about God it's not about man our church leader did this or our church leader did this or our church leader isn't doing this it's about man God is making things grow that's what's happening leadership kind of takes the backdrop which it should that's what Paul's trying to say it's about God making things grow he's responsible When things go right, amen. Let's praise God. He's making it grow. When things go wrong, crucify the leader. No. (laughs) Paul says, God is the one making things grow. And if we understood that, we'd hold off on criticism. And that's what Paul says, hey, hold off, because God will judge them. And his judgment will be fiery. He will inspect their work. And if it's, if it's shoddy, it'll be burned up. And they'll barely make it in. So you think your criticisms are genuine? Paul's saying, I'm not really concerned about that. I'm concerned about God. Because it's all about God. It's about being centered on... The, and this is big for aspiring leaders. I want our youth to raise up because they're going to be the ones leading our church in the next decade. In the next two decades. The ministry is not about the limelight. I used to think that at age 19. I want to get up and preach. And then I realized, oh, there's actually a lot more to this than just preaching. You mean I have to get with people instead of the Bible? You have to have to, have to help people with their, with, with their problems? What's up? How, when do I preach again? <laughs> it's about God. There's no limelight to it. I think it's important to understand this. And, and ministry doesn't equal arrival. Okay, now that, it is, now that I've become an intern or a staff, I've, I've made it. No, you, you've just started getting more scrutinized by God. Amen. Now that's inspiring because it exposes what you need to have exposed in your character for the whole world to see. But amen! amen. Because it's God. It's all about God. Amen. But the truth of this is this is very freeing. If God is my employer... Praise God, I concentrate more on working hard for Him, serving Him, pleasing Him, and less about pleasing people. And we're all prone to that, aren't we? We're trapped and chained by what different people think of us. But when it's God-centered, we care less and less and less about what people think and more about what God thinks. We contribute, but God makes it grow. (laughs) Lastly, become what you are as we close out, this this is wild here. As we understand the church in Corinth more, we we really get Paul's insight into what he thinks about the church as God sees the church. We've only read four chapters and we've seen that they're immature, they're divided, they're quarreling, and they're worldly. But in verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, don't you know That you yourselves are God's temple. Don't you know? It's not like they didn't know. This is something he had obviously taught them. Don't you guys know you're God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. That's kind of mind-blowing to me. He comes in, he inspects this church. There's quarreling, there's controversy, there's division. Chapters 5, there's lawsuits among believers. Chapter 6, there's immorality. There's all kind of stuff going on. He says, you're God's temple. Become what you are, guys. That's more of a motivator than, you stink! Hey, you're you're the temple. The Spirit dwells inside of you. Become what you are. Now the temple was very sacred throughout Judaism. They they treated it sacredly. In fact, in the book of Acts, you know, Paul gets almost killed because he's accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple. In Acts chapter 21, they saw Paul close to the temple with three Gentiles and they automatically thought, Oh, he's defiling the temple. So they they try to put him on trial. This is the man who teaches everywhere, everyone against our people and the law in this place. And besides, he has brought Gentiles and Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. That was the intensity of the temple. Everything uncommon stays out. This is sacred. And now Paul says there's something new and even more sacred bought by the blood of Christ. You are that temple. It's very sacred. And the Spirit dwells inside of you, all of you. And and that's why he says, if you destroy this, God will destroy you. Man, if that's not a motivator to get things right. I mean, that means, man, this this is a sacred building that we're a part of. And Paul's saying, become what you are. You're the temple. Become like it. What is it like? It's like this kid here. He's a little kid. He's a toddler. That's Marcus. No, it's not Marcus. (laughs) But that's a grown man's suit coat. And it looks ridiculous on him because it's definitely too big. But in 18 years, in 20 years, when he fills that out, it looks proper. But right now, it looks kind of silly. And so, but but it's similar with the church. You, we are the temple. It's a suit way too big for us to fill. And it looks a bit silly, because when we convert, how do we live this Christian lifestyle that doesn't, you're the temple, become what you are. Eventually you'll grow, eventually you'll go from milk to meat, eventually you'll be more centered on God, eventually you'll understand the cross, you'll start to fill it out, it'll start to look normal. Become what you are. You're the temple. You're the temple. It'll fill out. It'll work. There's a massive difference in that perspective, and uh, man, praise God, I can just grow up into this. And, and the other side of the story is, man, I need to earn me a suit. There's a massive difference in those two. Yeah. Paul saying, "Become what you, you you're the temple. You guys are the temple." And it's a call for us as a church to really strive. Man, we're God's temple. We're building something sacred. Let's become what we are. Let's make sure that we're growing in our faith. And it's also a warning for anyone inside or outside the church that's trying to, to, to destroy it. Because God says, hey, you better watch out. My temple's sacred. And I'll come after you if you mess up my temple. Praise God that Paul helps the church in Corinth see their error. So we can correct our error as well. As we conclude, I I want to encourage the church to all believe that God will assist you and me and every one of us to really believe that we can go from milk to meat. We can become more mature in Christ. And let's believe that. Amen. Let's become a community that's really centered around God and not self and not one another. And finally, let's all become what we really are. The temple of a holy God, and let's build sacredly. Amen.